Likutei Sichais, Chelik Yud Aleph, Volume 11, Second Sicha for Parshas Bishalach. This is a Rashi Sicha, and in this Sicha appears several of the Klolei Rashi, of the rules in Rashi, which the Rebbe establishes, which we are very well familiar with. Also, we will determine, we will see how the rationale, the basic logic, is what plays the key role in Pshutei Shemikra, in understanding the Psukim, in what the Psukim are saying, why they're saying it, and especially why Rashi explains what he explains. At the end is the Yenu Shaltero, which connects this to a concept of Chesidus, which I believe many of us are well familiar with, and also will conclude with a beautiful insight into the uh, role, into the position of the Jewish woman and, and, and daughter in Yiddishkeit. And how it connects to this um, to this parsha, to this uh, con- to this uh, episode, to this story. Uh, this part, this uh, Rashi, is on chapter fifteen, pasuk twenty, in Parshas Peshalach. After the Eden crossed the Kriyas Yamsuf, and Moshe and all the Bnei Yisrael sang the Shira, the Torah tells us that Vatikach Miriam Achos Miriam, Hanaviah, sorry, Miriam the prophetess, the, the sister of Aaron, she took the tambourine and she broke out with the woman in song and, and dancing and they had mechoilis, they had the tupim biyodom, they had all kinds of uh, noise making, you know, uh, like, like tambourines and things like that. And they sang also a shira to Hashem. So Rashi quotes the words, Vatikach, Miriam Hanaviah. The heading in Rashi is that, quote, Miriam the prophetess took. And Rashi asks, where did she prophesize? Where did we ever encounter her being a prophetess? So Rashi says that when she was, quote, the sister of Aaron, meaning prior to the birth of Moshe, when she was still just the sister of Aaron, she said a prophecy that, quote, my mother will be giving birth to a son who will be the redeemer of the Jewish people. And as she concludes, Kidisa Besaita, as it is uh, written in the Gemara in Masecha Saita. Dover Acher, says Rashi, another explanation. What is it? And he quotes now the words again, Achois Aaron, the sister of Aaron. What does the Torah mean by the sister of Aaron? Because Aaron selflessly dedicated himself to Miriam. When she got Saras, do you recall many, many, many years later, when she spoke a little negatively about Moshe, what appeared to be a somewhat of a lush and horror, and she was immediately afflicted with Saras, with leprosy. So Aaron dedicated himself in taking care of her and so on, and therefore she is called Achois Aaron. She is called, quote, Rashi says, on his name. She's associated with his name. Now, it would seem at first glance, that what is Rashi's objective? What is Rashi's purpose here? Rashi wants to explain a very obvious question in, in, in the, in the Pasuk. The Pasuk says that she is Achois Aaron. She is the sister of Aaron. Well, is she not the sister of Moshe? And therefore, Rashi explains that the word Achois Aaron, the sister of Aaron, quote, the sister of Aaron, is attached to the word Hanivia prophetess. That when was she a prophetess? When she was still the sister of Aaron, 
prior to also becoming the sister of Moshe. And then that he just adds another explanation of why she's called the sister of Aaron specifically and not also the sister of Moshe. But this, however, raises several questions. Number one, if that was the primary objective of Rashi, then Rashi's quotation in the heading should have been not Vatikach Miriam Haneviyah, but rather Achais Aaron, because according to the way we just explained it, that is the objective of Rashi. And why does Rashi have to tell us what her prophecy is? In other words, why couldn't he just say that she was a prophetess in the time when she was the sister of Aaron, yet before she was the sister of Moshe too? Now, another very interesting question. We know that in Rashi, typically Rashi does not give us a reference to his source. Not because he's hiding it, because it's not necessary for Pshut Shemikra. When he does give us a reference to his source, it means something. In many cases, when Rashi references and he says, like it says in the Gemara, or like it says in this Nesechta, or so on, it could many times be not because it is absolutely crucial for Pshutei Shemikra, but rather that if there is a student, uh, like the Rebbe calls him, a more seasoned student that is looking for extra and deeper understanding and appreciation of it, Rashi refers him to his source over there. He can get better insight and better understand and appreciate the Pshutei Shemikra. So in other words, when Rashi gives you a source, Rashi is directing you that if you need to have a better explanation, this is where you should look. But the question is, one second, if one looks up this Maimar Chazal, this insight about Miriam and her prophecy, one will find that it's actually quoted twice in the Talmud, in Meseches Megillah and in Meseches Seitah. And notice that I said Meseches Megillah first, because in the order of the Shas, Meseches Megillah appears first. Thus, the question, if Meseches Megillah is first, and both of them say exactly the same thing, it's literally verbatim the same quotation of Chazal, why does Rashi reference to Saita? Well, it must be that there is some better appreciation of the Pshutish Mikra if one looks into Saita, Verses 1, seeing the very same quotation in Megillah. How so? What is it that Meseches Mesoita offers more to the understanding, to the depth of appreciation of this Pshut Mikra over Meseches Megillah? So we'll have to find that out. And another question, what we know, another rule, that when Rashi brings two explanations for the same thing, that means that the first one is the main understanding of Pshut Mikra. However, because it lacks at some level, there's something insufficient about it. Therefore, he complements it with the second explanation. What is lacking in the first one that he needs to have the second one? And then, of course, why isn't the second one the main one? And another thing is, why when he brings the second explanation, does he again quote the words from the Pasek, Achois Arin? And the answer to all of this is as follows. When the Torah gives us a title, when the Torah describes somebody, with a title. What does that usually mean? That either we're using it for identification purposes, the Torah wants us to know exactly who that person is, 
or because it relates to the actual episode and explains to us why that person behaved or how that person behaved in that particular circumstance, in that particular situation, the way they behaved. So the question is, what does the Torah really seek to gain by telling us that we should know that Miriam was a prophetess? How does that enhance the the episode, the story, and what she did in the story. Because it's obvious that it's not to tell us who she was. In other words, it's not for identification purposes. Why? Because immediately the Torah tells us, Achois Aaron, the sister of Aaron. The moment you tell me she's the sister of Aaron, I know who she is already. I know who Miriam is. Another question is, when the Torah describes her as ha Neviah, the prophetess that means she was already established and a well-known prophetess where do we find ever that she was a prophetess so from all of this we get an understanding when the Torah gives us this description of Miriam this title that she was the prophetess and the sister of Aaron it is in for the purpose of enhancing our appreciation of what took place here but if that's the that's the case the our question is one second what did she do here she broke out into song and danced with the women. That is a quality of a prophet? Think about it for a second. We've already encountered prophets before. Avram Avinu was a prophet. For example, by the story of Avimelech, where Hashem said to Avimelech, don't worry, return Sarah to Avram. He will not suspect you of having you know, done any wrongdoing with her. Why? Because he's a prophet. That means he knows the future, he knows the past, he knows he can see things that others can't see. Then we have, for example, by the Imahis, by the matriarchs. Rashi again, over and over tells us that the names that they gave their sons was not just about what happened, but about what will happen. They saw into the future. They knew how many sons they will have. They knew how, I mean, they knew how many children Yaakov is, is supposed to have, and so on and so forth. The other aspect of a Navi is that one who verbalizes it, right? Rashi said, for example, by Aaron, where Hashem said to Moshe, Aaron will be your Navi, meaning that Aaron will verbalize what you are going to be told by me. But how does this fit into what Miriam did? Miriam didn't predict the future. Miriam didn't say anything. Miriam didn't verbalize any unknown things. She broke out into song and dance like all the Eden did. Prompted, or I should say better, triggered by the enormity of the miracle. So why exactly does the Torah describe her as the prophetess? What connection does this have to what she did? And the answer is, is as follows. There is a question here. That without describing Miriam as the prophetess, not only a prophetess, but now we'll understand why Rashi puts in what the prophecy is. In a certain sense, a prophetess which is even greater than Moshe himself because she preceded Moshe. She, her prophecy was about Moshe. And it was also during the lifetime of her parents who were also prophets. So in a sense, it tells us that they, even in their presence, she was a prophet and she knew prophecy that they themselves didn't know tells us how great of a prophet she was. This answers a very simple question. Miriam stands up and leads the women. Did she 
ask permission from the actual leader? Did Hashem not declare Moshe as a leader? Even to Pharaoh, Hashem declared Moshe as Elohim Lefar. You're going to be like a god to Pharaoh. He's not going to do anything without your permission. And here, she stands up and she leads all the women. A significant segment of Klal Yisrael without Moshe's permission. And it seems to be not only it's okay, but the Torah hails it as a great thing. Look what Miriam did. How did she do it? How did she have, so to speak, the authority? How did she have the, 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 the chutzpah, in a way, to go and stand up in front of Moshe and do it? That is why the Pasik tells us. Because she was Hanaviyah. She was such a great Nevi'ah. She even preceded Moshe Rabbeinu. In a certain sense, from a certain aspect, she had a greatness which even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have. And that's why she was able to, to assume the authority and lead the women without even taking getting permission from Moshe Rabbeinu. However, so then the question is, what's lacking in this that we need to have an explanation, an, a further explanation in Rashi? A second, a dover acher. The answer is that there's still something very minor, but there's something missing in this pirush, and that is, it says, Miriam Hanevia Achois Aaron, that she was a sister of Aaron. Maybe it could have even said something greater. Achois Moshe, the sister of Moshe, a parallel to Moshe, pointing out how she is a Nevia, even in comparison to Moshe. So for that, Rashi brings the second Pirush, which explains why she's called Achois Aroin. That since Aroin dedicated himself selflessly to her well-being when she was in a difficult state, therefore, therefore, she, uh, the Torah points out that she was Achois Aroin. But if that's the case, why not say this as the first Pirush? Because it's obvious that this would not bring out, this would not underscore and bring out the point that the Pasek is trying to bring out. What is the Pasek trying to bring out? How great she was. And for that reason, she was able to assume the authority and without even taking permission from Aisha, she was able to go ahead and lead the women in song and in dancing. Pointing out how Aaron took care of her when she was in a negative state, when she had saras, when she was somewhat less than, that does not bring out what the Pasuk is trying to bring out. And therefore, this can only be used as a complement to fill in the void that the first Pirush leaves, leaves, but it cannot be the first Pirush. And now we'll get to the question that the Rebbe asked, why does Rashi direct us? Why does he reference to Mesecha Saitam? specifically, when really it also appears in Meseches Megillah. And there's reason to actually reference to Meseches Megillah because Meseches Megillah comes first in Shas. The answer is that by suggesting that we look in Meseches Saita, we have an answer to yet another question. We just established in this Rashi that when was the greatness of her Nevoah when was she such a great prophetess? Prior to Moshe Rabbeinu's birth, when she was still the sister of Aaron. Now, how old could she have been then? We know that Aaron was only three years older than Moshe. 
How much older was Miriam than Moshe? About four or five years older than Moshe. So you're telling me that she was such a great prophetess when she was just merely a young girl, a young, a young child. Was she that mature? That's why Rashi directs us and he references Masecha Saita. Because in that subject there, that topic where it discusses Miriam, it also discusses another Pasuk and it gives us insight to what happened, if you recall, when Moshe Rabbeinu's mother, when Yechevet put him in the little bassinet on the water, it says that she stood from a distance. And then it says, alma, that when she went to go fetch Moshe's mother and bring her as the nurse for Moshe, the Torah refers to her as an alma, which is usually a term that's used for a mature young woman. And Rashi over there asks, he quotes the Gemara, how can you call her alma? This is where the Gemara says that she was so mature that even though she, in age, chronologically she was a young child, but she was so advanced, she was so mature that she was like a young woman. This can give us insight and help us appreciate better that yes, indeed, she was such a great prophetess even prior to Moshe's birth, even at that young age. And now we get to the Yenu Shaltaira. The Yenu Shaltaira, like we know, is like wine, the secrets, the, the, the deeper flavor. So the Rebbe says that if you look at this Rashi, you can actually appreciate something which we have according, which we will know, we, we all know, I should say, and appreciate according to Chassidus. Miriam represents the attribute of Malchus. Now we know that Malchus has actually two aspects. On the one hand, we know that Malchus is deeply rooted in the highest of levels, which is beyond any level meaning in Atmos itself, in the essence of Hashem itself, higher than all the rest of the spheres, than the rest, the rest of the attributes. On the other hand, we find that the way Malchus is manifest in the order of Ishtal Shilus, it is the lowest. And as it says, Les Migarmo Kluma has, quote, unquote, nothing of its own, meaning it doesn't really have, it doesn't seem to possess any specific character, rather it receives from all the other, and it becomes all the other attributes, and it becomes like a conduit to pass it along to the next level below, next level lower than it itself, for example, action or the world's lower than itself. So this, in the, so we see that it has, the, so to speak, the two aspects, which in some way seem to be two opposites. In the one hand, it's the ultimate, and the other hand, it's the lowest. In the one hand, it has everything beyond anything, beyond everything. And on the other hand, it seems like it has almost nothing. It doesn't have anything. And the real the idea is it just actually connects. Because since it has everything, it has the ultimate bitl that it's able to accept from all the other midois, all the other spheroids, and serve as a conduit for them because of its great bitl. Because it comes from so high, it's able to go so low and serve such a great function. And the Rebbe says this you see in this Rashi. It's hinted in this Rashi. Because in the same Rashi we bring the two opposite aspects. We bring the ultimate greatness of, of, of Miriam. When in, in, in from that perspective she's even greater than her own parents and even in a sense than Moshe Rabbeinu as a prophetess. In the other hand we see that she almost doesn't have her own identity. She is now referred to as She's attributed to Aaron, who took care of her, who brought out, so to speak, the the greatness in her um, by 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 um, taking care of her. So 
says the Rebbe, this is a lesson for all Nisheyu B'nois Yisrael, for all Jewish women. That although the emiss is, the truth is, that the women possess the ultimate Midas, the ultimate of all character, the ultimate of all attributes are really in the woman. And in fact, when Mashiach comes, this will be revealed, as it says, Isha to save of Gever. However, the fact is, the way things are now, the way it is, so to speak, in the normal order of things, it says that which is the true, Ezeo Isha Kshela, which is the ultimate woman, she does, so to speak, the will of her husband. So she becomes now subservient and secondary to her husband, as if she has nothing of her own, and that's how she reaches her ultimate Mila is by following her husband's uh, lead, her husband's role in doing, so to speak, what he wants. And the Rebbe says this is actually, interestingly, not only in the Mila's, in the, in the things, in the, in the character, or in the attributes that they receive from the husbands that they themselves don't have. But it seems that even in what they possess on their own, and like we said, what they possess on is even greater than what the husband says, seems to come out and be highlighted and be more appreciated only through, so to speak, through the husband, through by you know them being um, um, uh, uh, accessory to and, 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 and uh, uh, support to their husbands. And we see this actually by Miriam and Aaron. If you think about it, what is the character of Miriam? What is the idea of Miriam? Who is Miriam? So we know that Miriam has already been mentioned as the poor, the one who was able to console, to soothe, to give love and pampering to the babies. If you recall from Parsha Shmois, who is Aaron? Aaron is the person also who gave love, abundance of love and care for his fellow man. Right? But yet, we're, how is Miriam categorized in this Pasuk? How is she portrayed as a Chisra Aaron, as the sister of Aaron, almost a secondary to Aaron? In other words, she, she, she assumes her identity or character only through Aaron. When in truth, this is a character which is really the ultimate um, greatness of the woman. The character which really defines the woman more so than the man. Think about it. Where does this attribute, this idea, this 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 disposition of soothing, of caring, of mothering? You just heard it, mothering. It comes from the woman. And yet, over here, she is portrayed, she is highlighted as a chais aren. So this tells us that even though quote-unquote, it may seem a little unfair and it may not seem to make sense, but the way it is now, until Mashiach comes, you see this from here, where even though she was the Nevi'ah, she was so great, yet she's a Chais Aaron, she is highlighted, she is portrayed, she is exalted through the attribute of Aaron, in the case of a woman, through her husband, through working together in, in partnership and, 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 and cooperation together with her husband, it brings out not only his strengths, but it brings out her true inner character and her greatness.